Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. God, as we look at our world and watch the news, I for one can't help but think that your hand of judgment might be upon our nation. Riots and looting and hatred. Not one but two hurricanes. Murder hornets. COVID-19, fires, a divided country. And so we ask that you would show us what our response should be. What is it that you would have us learn? Our, Our eyes are open, our ears are open, our hearts are receptive. God, show us as individuals how you're at work in our own life. What should we be doing? How should we be identifying worldliness and sin in our lives and turning from it? Show us as a church what you have for us. Would you give us a renewed fervency for you? Would you give your church a clear head, articulate speech, steel spines, soft hearts, thick skin? Maybe we be those that are Easily encouraged and easily edified and hard to offend and take personal offense. In other words, God, would you make us about you and your glory alone? The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will endure forever. Would you go to work at our hearts and our lives and in this community through it this morning? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Uh, my name is Blake. If you're new, I especially want to welcome any new college students we might have. Welcome to Abilene. If you're new to Abilene, welcome to Southside. If you're new to Southside. I kind of went into old man lecture mode last week with some of you guys, but part of it is because life is short. Life is short. So if you're looking for a church, find a church that preaches the Bible and teaches the Bible. Life is much too short for weak churches. So find a place that preaches the Bible and plug in Join it, use your gifts to make it better. They need you and you need them. The most important thing, you're going to have all kinds of experiences these next four years. It's such a fun season of life. I'm excited for you, but the most important thing is your spiritual growth. Most important thing. In fact, statistics, I don't want to discourage anybody here because I know most of you are paying a lot of money. But the statistics say that in five or six years, your work won't even be related to your major. So work hard. But major on Jesus. That's what's going to matter 10 years from now. Focus on your spiritual growth. We would love to help you do that as a church. We're in a series called Foundations where we're just walking verse by verse through the first three chapters of Genesis. Some of y'all said, shoot, I ain't paying anything, man. Talk to my parents. (laughs) 
These first three chapters of the Bible are so crucial. Embedded in these three chapters of Genesis, which we, we will be in all fall, they're embedded within them is everything we need to know about where we came from, who we are, who God is, what we're for, where we're headed. Last week, we looked at Genesis 1 and our origins, and we looked at the first six days of creation, but we didn't quite finish the sixth day. And there we saw that God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't have to. There was nothing compelling him to do so. He would have been just fine. He's been perfectly happy within the fellowship of the Trinity for all of eternity. But out of love and generosity and grace, he created the world and he created us as we will see this morning. All things from the star to the starfish. And he said, it's good. God is pro-creation. God is for this world. He created it and he will redeem it one day. So this morning, let's look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And see three realities. First, we're created by the triune God. Second, we're created in the image of God. And third, God created us as embodied people, male and female. So first, we're created by the triune God. Notice again there in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness notice the plural here we have God speaking in plural of course we know from the rest of the Bible the God of the Bible is a triune God three persons one essence father son and spirit in fact if you're paying attention last week flip over to Genesis 1 verse 2 we already saw the spirit at work in creation Genesis 1 2 says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirits of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have the spirit active in creation. We also saw last week, how did God create? What is the means by which he used his word, right? And later in the scripture, we learn that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity is the eternal word. Listen to the way John begins his gospel. Chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, alluding to Genesis. Here we have a new Genesis, a new creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We learn that the Word is the Son Himself. Colossians 1 says, Christ, for by Christ, by Him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The early church, Father Irenaeus, used to speak of the Son and the Spirit as, as the two arms of God by which the will of the Father is done. The agents of creation. Listen to Paul later in 1 Corinthians 8. He puts it this way. Yet for us, there's one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So right off the bat, we see we're created by the triune God. We'll see more in coming weeks on why that's important for being human. But second notice then, we're created in the image of God. Look at verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Mankind here is presented as the crown of creation, the pinnacle of God's creative activity. 
Why? Because, well, he saves the best for last. He has all the created order and all the earth and sea creatures and plants that will see, bear seed and all that. And then at the end, he comes to his pinnacle, his crown, and he creates mankind. Is What we'll see next week then is he delegates all the rest of the created order under mankind. We're not accidental. We're God's main thing here. Created a domain, and then he created the people who will dwell in that domain. Chapter 2 is going to really zoom in on the creation of man and woman in a way that he doesn't zoom in on the creation of other things. So what does it mean then to be made in the image of God? The imago Dei, image and likeness. Likeness just refers to similarity, and image and likeness reinforce each other. Well, it was actually a familiar concept in the ancient Near East, this idea of being made in the image of God. But there were kings, and of course, there were a pantheon of gods, right? And each king would represent a god. So Ra would have the king, you know, the sun, the sun god would represent, right? Kids, zoom in here because this is really cool. Here's what the kings would do. The kings would set up their image or an image of the god they represented physically. So they would like build a statue and it was kind of like staking a flag in. And so that as people would wander by, they would go across this territory and they would see that image and think, okay, that's the sun god's territory. That's the king who represents the saga, that's his domain, that's his realm, and then I better respect him, and I better not trespass, and I better obey the rules of that ruler because there's his image and he rules it. Well, who does God make in his image? Every single human being. Because God wants you, every time you see a human being, to think God's the king of this place. Anywhere there are humans, God's domain is there. He is the ruler. We are to reflect God's glory and God's presence throughout the earth. His desires to create the world and then fill the world with his glory through the people whom he created. It's really incredible. God chose human beings to be the means and mode of his presence and activity in this world. Image of God. Really two ways to think about the image of God. You have the structural element, like what we are as humans, but then the functional element, that is what we're called to do. Again, we'll see that next week. So the image of God is both a gift, but it's also a task. We're to represent God on earth. We're to mirror and mimic our creator, to rule and represent him. So it makes us distinct from animals. Animals aren't made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God gives us various human capacities such as being relational. Relational with God primarily, but also relational with one another. Having self-awareness. I wish my two little dogs had self-awareness. Rationality. Creativity. Morality. Freedom. Responsibility. Dignity. Conscience. These are all structural elements, but really they're just tools to help us with the functional element that will help us have dominion and subdue the created order representing God on earth. And all people are made in God's image. Every human being. You say, what about, what about non-Christians too? Yeah, every human being. What about sin? Doesn't sin mess that up? Well, it does mess it up, but it doesn't remove it. Sinners are made in the image of God, but our image bearing is marred. It's, it's broken. It's, it's hampered. It's cracked. We've got, uh, you know, we were cruising. I don't remember. Going on a trip in our swagger wagon. Big rock comes and hits the minivan window. 
And you know, when the crack comes, you're thinking, oh man, where's this going to go, right? But just stay that way, stay out of my sight, I'll be good. And sure enough, it did, so it kind of went over to the side and will remain that way. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm reminded, okay, is it a windshield? Yeah, it's a windshield. It's just a cracked windshield. It needs to be restored and may eventually one day by the people we sell it to. <laughs> still there. And Christ is the perfect image of God. And when we come to Christ, the image of God in us begins to be restored. Listen to what Scripture says about Jesus, Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. He perfectly embodies what it means to be the image of God. And so we trust Jesus, and we have our sins forgiven. Faith alone, grace alone. And that's the first step, but that's really just the first step of the Christian life. And maybe that's you. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe you don't know if you know the Lord. That's the first conversation. If you want to talk, we would love to talk with you. Or you could probably grab most people in this room and be able to tell you about the gospel of Jesus and what it means to become a Christian. Once you trust in Jesus, though, begins this lifelong process. It usually goes like this of sanctification, growing in holiness. But really what we're talking about is having the image of God restored in us. That's what it means. As we grow to be more like Jesus, we're having the image of God restored in us. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is what we're doing. We're putting off the old, we're putting on the new, we're renewing our mind, and we're being transformed more into the image of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says the same. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're all trying to become fully and truly human again. And God works all things to that end, right? Romans 8.28, hope you know it. God works all things together for good. What we've got to ask, what is the good? It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. What is the good? He works all things together for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. This is the calling. And as we follow God, that image is being restored in us. In other words, really what we're trying to do is we're all on a journey to become more and more truly human. And Jesus leads and shows us the way. So what are some implications? There's tons. That all people are made in the image of God. Hugely important, seems like, especially today. Every human being has God-endowed dignity and are to be treated with honor and respect. Last week I mentioned five reasons why evolution fails as a worldview, why it's a bankrupt way to live. And I only just mentioned this. This is a big one. Evolution, atheism, gives no reasoning, no grounding, no basis to treat humans with dignity. Because according to them, humans are nothing special. We're just a random collection of molecules, just made over fish. We're just advanced apes. We're just matter in motion that happens to be at the top of the evolutionary ladder for now. Friends, we're not a genetic accident. We are the crown of our creator. There's a reason why we're outraged by the Holocaust, but hire people to exterminate cockroaches. Because there is a substantial difference between human beings and insects. Here's how Pastor Tim Keller put it. He said, to hold that human beings are the product of nothing but the evolutionary process of the strong eating the weak, 
But then to insist that nonetheless every person has a human dignity to be honored is an enormous leap of faith against all evidence to the contrary. Because you can't hold both. You can't be an atheist, atheist and have any rational grounding to treat human beings with dignity. It's a contradiction. Only Christianity has the grounding for holding to human dignity. And thankfully, the Bible has informed so much of Western culture and civilization, something that cultural Marxists are currently trying to tear down. But listen to what we say. Based upon Scripture, we hold these truths to be self-evidence, that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator certain unalienable rights. And so this is the reason we take humanity seriously. This is the reason we are opposed to sex trafficking, any type of trafficking. This is the reason we're opposed to genocide. This is the reason we're opposed to pornography, the denigrating and objectifying of women. By the way, parents, whatever you're thinking, the timeline you need to talk to your kids about this issue, it's probably a couple years sooner than you think. And I was reminded, Josh and I were talking re recently about a book that was helpful to our family. There's actually two, and they're not, it's not Christian, still helpful. It's called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. A good picture, there's a junior book as well that's like for three, four, and five-year-olds. We need to be equipping kids very early about this issue. Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Junior, and the regular. This is the reason we're opposed to abortion. Because life starts at conception. There's new, distinct life to be treated as such. And thankfully, due to advanced technology, even a lot of unbelieving professional bioethicists agree that life begins at conception. You know, we'll talk about, well, we've got to have reproductive rights. Well, at this point, reproduction's already happened. We do not have the right to end a life. The baby has a right to live regardless of how much it might inconvenience the mom or the dad. This is why we're opposed to racism. Genesis 1 teaches that all are equally made in the image of God. Skin pigment, the amount of skin pigment doesn't matter a bit. How dumb. <laughs> and man, our country's got a bad history, right, with lingering effects. You know what, I think one of the most powerful demonstrations we've had in terms of the civil rights era was this, and this may not have been the first time, I'm not sure, but it was in Memphis and it was at the sanitation strike. An African-American worker had been run over by a truck and so they boycotted, they went on strike and I think most of them were holding a sign it was right on point, and it just said, I am a man. Could have said, I'm made in the image of God. Absolutely right. This is why we're opposed to euthanasia. You meaning good, thanos, death, good death. In the Bible, there's no such thing as a good death. God gives life. We don't have the right to take life away. This is why we're opposed to eugenics. This idea that society would improve if the fit had more children and the unfit had less. You, meaning good, genics, genes, trying to preserve and propagate only good genes for a superior human race. This is what drove Hitler. And you say, well, we've moved on past that, right? Not at all, friends. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. I want to tell you a little bit about her because her mission lives on. Sanger was a brilliant strategist and a despicable person. Abandoned her own kids, said explicitly she only married her second husband for his money. She was an evolutionist. She was a racist. 
And what she wanted to do was speed up evolution. She wanted to speed up natural selection. She thought the human race would improve if inferior races, which were any but hers, whites, sick people, were reduced. She wanted state-sponsored sterilization of certain groups. And this is why Planned Parenthood clinics to this day are disproportionately found in minority neighborhoods. 80% of Planned Parenthood clinics are targeting minority neighborhoods. They want to control the population of minorities. And she wasn't even secretive about it. She spoke to the women of the KKK in New Jersey. A member of her board wrote a book called The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. One clinic recently removed her name, knowing her racist history. That does nothing, though, when her practice and her philosophy lives on. Her mission's alive and well. There have been around 57 million abortions in America since 1973. One-third are African-American babies. Yet, African-American women only make up 13% of the population. 13% make up one-third of the abortions. Part of the reason because Sanger's philosophy of eugenics, targeting them. It's nothing less than black genocide, friends, alive and well in our day. But here's the thing. It's consistent with her worldview. It's consistent with evolution. And it puts liberals today in a really hard place because Sanger founded and championed so much of their values. So what they're having to do is reinvent her. It's revisionist history. But again, it's consistent with evolution. Might is right. Strong, eat the wheat. Natural selection. Eliminate the weeds so the flower can bloom. That's the logic. So in this view of things, racism and eugenics and abortion and euthanasia, they make perfect sense. We come along and we help nature select and dispose of that which we determine is useful. Listen to what she wrote. Birth control itself is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit, of preventing the birth of defectives or those who will become defectives. She called minorities weeds. It's interesting, I mentioned the revisionist history. I found a lot of people are trying to defend her. They need to defend her because of her values, but they don't like that part of her. And so I mentioned they're rewriting, they're reinventing her. And so one singer in Planned Parenthood and abortion defender said, no, that's a lie. She never said that. I have scoured every one of her papers and she never called African-Americans weeds. Technically, it's true giving people the data they needed because she never said it in one of her papers. It was in her speeches and in a 1923 New York Times article. Revisionist history, friends. No human being is a weed. But without the Christian view of things, we have no basis to say so. We have no basis to oppose racism or eugenics or abortion. You need creation in the image of God for human dignity to mean anything. Regardless of color, regardless of mental capacity, regardless of size, regardless of health, regardless of supposed usefulness, all human beings are made in the image of God and are to be treated with respect and honor and dignity and value. Created in the image of God. Third thing is we are created male and female. We are embodied. We are gendered people. Look at verse 27. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, gender matters to God. Binary gender or God's design. Who would have thought even 10 years ago that would be a controversial statement? He could have created one gender. He didn't. Praise him. Created two. All through Genesis 1, that's what we've seen God doing, making differentiations and making distinctions. And here he makes male and female. In the coming weeks, we'll see more of that and even look into the roles that he gives. But here, notice that gender is not what our world says it is. It's not a social construct. It's not up to each individual person. It's not a personal choice. It's not each individual's internal sense of gender. One famous transgender man put it like this. He said, Gender's not about what's between your legs, but between your ears. Another woman said, this pink and blue thing is a nonsense. It's a hegemony that we need to challenge. We all need to be free. The human heart's the most important organ, not what goes on down there. Culture's confused. Here we see right here that God makes both man and woman. He designs their form and frame, male and female, and they're both the image of God, equal in essence, equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in worth. But difference, complementary, different but fitting together. Each the image of God, but together reflecting the glory of God in a very unique way. Equality of dignity, mutual respect, harmony, complementarity. But our culture is so confused. We're told we can't call babies boys and girls. We can't impose our binary genders on them. That's not up to us. It's not up to God. And so now we call them babies to stay gender neutral. Germany now lets parents put an X instead of an M for male or F for an e female on birth certificates. The school in North Carolina said the, the teachers can't call them boys or girls. You can only call them students. Toys R Us getting rid of their boys and girls sections because that's an imposition. Target as well. College students being penalized in papers for writing the masculine singular pronoun he to refer to men and women generically. You got to say he or she, she or he. Or they, the new NIV is taking that route in Bible translation. In so many ways, the transgender movement, the whole LBGDQ movement really has grown out of feminism. But listen, it's been terrible for women in so many ways. When you have men entering and using women's restrooms, women lose in a couple of ways. When you have men entering women's sports, Women lose, literally. In 2014, there was a transgender female who had gone through puberty, and she fights another woman in MMA, mixed martial arts. She crushed her skull. She gave her a concussion in seven surgical staples. Fight lasted two and a half minutes, and she went on to Twitter to boast about it and said she enjoyed crushing her skull. Here's what the loser said. I fought a lot of women. I never felt the strength that I felt in a fight as I did that night. And listen to what our culture has forced her to say. Or I should say, not giving her the clarity or conviction to say. I can't answer whether it's because she was born a man or not because I'm, a I'm not a doctor. I can only say, I've never felt so overpowered ever in my life. And I'm an abnormally strong female in my own right. There was a day when a man will go to jail for hitting a woman rather than being celebrated, affirmed, and paid. 
There's a woman in Australia, man, competing in female weight wrestling. I mean, excuse me, weightlifting. And uh, she's breaking all kinds of female weightlifting records. Imagine that. In Connecticut, a boy decided to become a girl named Andrea. And he competed as a boy in middle school. And then he identified as a girl and competed as a girl in high school. And he ran 100 meters and 200 meters. His times would have made him last place if he were running alongside fellow boys. But he dominated the girls' state championship in 2017. In Connecticut, all you have to do is say the word. No prescription, no hormones, no surgery, just a new name. Ironically, in 2018, Andrea lost to another boy competing as a girl. We're so confused. Even in Texas, recently we had a boy win the female girls' state wrestling title. Facebook used to be male and female, and they just kept adding, adding options on your gender until they got to 71 options on your gender. Finally, they decided we can't keep up, so you got a custom button. You fill in what you would like. Here's what they said. When you come to Facebook to connect with people, causes, and organizations you care about, we want you to feel comfortable being your true, authentic self. An important part of this is the expression of gender especially when it extends beyond the definitions of just male and female. So today, we're proud to offer a new custom gender option to help you better express your own identity on Facebook. Our culture wants to eliminate and erase all distinctions. But scripture and biology won't allow us to do that. As one secular person put it in a recent TED Talk, every single cell has a sex. Because we were made male and female. The body is not plastic. It can't be changed for our self-actualization. It is a given form. Our biological sex is a gift we receive. It's not a choice we make. Being male and female is essential to who we are. It's essential to being made in the image of God. Scripture's clear and biology proves what Scripture says. The transgender mantra is anatomy isn't destiny. But bodies are really stubborn things. So when ethicist says, your, your psychology, the way you feel, cannot trump your ontology, your being. So it's not surprising that we see so few long-term successful transition stories. The LGBTQ movement has thrown biology out of the window. But bodies and cells don't change easily. Try as they might. No hormone therapy, no reassignment surgery is effective. Gender is God-given. It is to be received. Male and female, he created them. It is God who made us. It is not we ourselves. He made us embodied creatures with objective biology. Gender is really important. It's not a surface-level aspect of who you are. It's not like a set of clothes. It's part and parcel with your personal identity, and therefore, you're flourishing. It's biological. It's anatomical. We're different. Chromosomes are different. Our brains are different. Our voices are different. Our body types are different. Our strengths are different. On average, men have 1,000% more testosterone than women. 1,000%. That's a difference, which makes men usually more aggressive, more competitive, this is not a judgment on women's sports. I'm all for women's sports, but this was a striking stat I ran into. Women athletes tell their, tear their ACL at a rate of five times higher 
than men. Again, I'm all for women's sports. It just shows there's a difference. We're made different. We're constituted differently. Obviously, reproductive systems. And here's what we have to affirm, and not just affirm, but gladly affirm. The difference is due to God's creative design for humanity. Your God-given gender is a crucial part of your identity. And so, friends, resolve to honor God as a man or honor God as a woman. Live attuned to the uniqueness of our God-given gender. He's the creator. And if he's the creator, he has the right to tell us how to live. He wrote the owner's manual. He has authority, but praise God, he's not just authoritative. He has love and wisdom and knowledge. His way, we're going to say this so many times throughout Genesis 1 to 3, his way is clear, but it's countercultural, but it's good. It's the right way. It's the way to human flourishing. Proverbs 3, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. To go away from his way is not freedom, it's destruction. For eternity, but also for here and now. That's why so many transgender people are so unhappy. This is the hidden secret of the movement. They have shockingly high rates of substance abuse and anxiety and depression and other mental health problems. 66%, two-thirds of trans people suffer from multiple psychological disorders. Friends, these people need love and compassion and truth. They are suffering. They're confused. Their rates of depression and anxiety far surpass the rates of everyone else. 41% of trans men and women attempt suicide. 41% of trans men and trans women attempt suicide. Do you know how many percentage of the general population attempt suicide? 1.6. That means trans people are 19 times more likely to attempt suicide than the general population. And even those that go through a full-blown transition, it's no different. It doesn't work. It's not the solution. John Hopkins Hospital was one of the ones that pioneered the transition surgeries. And Paul McHugh was one of their chief psychiatrists. They pioneered the procedure, but they stopped offering the procedure. Why? It wasn't working. Maybe for a little bit, it solved no long-term problem. And listen to what Paul McHugh says, chief psychiatrist, not a Christian. He says, I concluded that to provide a surgical alteration to the body of these unfortunate people was to collaborate with a mental disorder rather than to treat it. Think he still works there? God's way is best, friends. Let's follow him. Let's honor him. Not only for his honor, but for our own good. He knows best and he wants our best. I ran across this Chesterton quote this week and I love it. He's talking about coming to Christianity in his book, Orthodoxy. And he says, and the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. God has given us rule and order, but it's so that good things can run wild. True freedom is living in, with, in accord with the way he has made us. Fish don't find freedom outside the tank. We are the product of the triune God, made in his image. Therefore, every human being has dignity. And we have every reason to oppose murder and euthanasia and eugenics and abortion and racism, contrary to God's design, very clearly from the first pages of the Bible. Created male and female, equal in essence, 
with complementary roles that we're called to live out for our joy and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we're reminded of your goodness and your kindness to us by being a God who not only is there, but a God who speaks and speaks with clarity even when it runs counter to our culture. And so I pray for the people in this room that we would see and trust your goodness, that we would submit to your word, but also submit to your word with gladness, trusting you to know best because you're our creator. You have the right and the knowledge and the wisdom to tell us how best to live our lives. And so I pray for us to do that and do that with joy. And I pray for opportunities to speak to our culture, to our coworkers, to our peers, fellow students, neighbors. Lord, that you would give us a compassion for the brokenness of this world. That we wouldn't be those standing over people with condemnation in our tone, but those humbly speaking truth with tears in our eyes. We're grateful that you've created us. We're grateful that you've called us, you've saved us. We are your children, God. We want to live lives that honor you. Receive our praise, conform us to the image of Jesus. We pray it in his name, amen.